You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. But what does it mean for together? As we get ready to, excuse me, to dive into this new series, I wrote down some simple questions that I think that this is what we want to answer. You know, over the next few weeks, because this is the series that's going to lead up to, to the last Sunday in, in November where we will, we will hit Thanksgiving, we will come back from Thanksgiving, and this whole place is going to be transformed into the most bodacious time of the year, my favorite, your favorite, Christmas at Crossroads, and we've already got the thing, and I'm jacked up, and I cannot wait to get there, but before we get there, we got to get through this, right? And so together, I wrote down four questions. What does it mean? Why is it important? And how can I have it? Like over the next four weeks, I, I want to answer those three things. What does it mean? How can I get it? You know, and then a bigger part is, is what's my role in it, right? Like together is one of those trivial words that you normally don't know that you, you have it until it's happening. It's kind of like experience. I was joking around with somebody. You know, experience is one of those things that you normally get it about five minutes after you needed it. Usually your experience looks like this. Oh, yeah, that, I, mm, I wouldn't do it that way. That's normally what experience means, you know. But with together, it's kind of the same thing, right? Like in this process of coming together, what does it mean to be together? Like I, I want to encourage you, no matter what happens Tuesday night, and no matter when we finally find out the results of Tuesday night, whenever that takes place, it's vitally important that we wake up together and understand that no matter what your choice was and I do pray I hope every one of you if you've not voted I hope every one of you vote but with that being said no matter where this happens we got to wake up and what we got to come together I think there's a lot of people that are curious of what's going to happen Tuesday night and they're very curious of how people are going to respond depending on what happened on Tuesday night And I don't want to sound like an old boomer, but I want you to understand the God that's in charge right now that brought us to this point is the same God that we're going to wake up and celebrate on Wednesday that's going to take us through no matter what. No matter what happens. And so there's an aspect of a unity, right? There has to be something that brings us together. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, And I want to talk about this aspect of together, and I want to talk a little bit about what does it mean? What does it mean? We're going to hit all these questions as we go through the month leading up to Christmas at Crossroads, but I want to talk about what does it mean? And I believe Romans chapter 15 does a great job of that, but what does that mean? Like there's usually something, right, that's causing us to go, ooh, yeah, I I want to go to that. Well, I want to talk about that. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Listen to what God's word says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together 
you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, there's a lot that's right there that I want to take about literally 10 to 15 minutes, and I want to break down. And, you know, if we look at the very first verse, it literally says, we who are strong, and if you have a paper Bible or if you're on an electronic version, highlight it, have an obligation. You need to understand that when you entered this world, there hits a point called adulthood that you move from being the obligation of somebody to becoming in an obligation for somebody. Like a part of the together that we have to understand is that every single person in this room, including me on the stage, is under an obligation. What is that obligation, you say? Well, listen, it's right here. It says, we have a strong obligation to bear with the failing of the weak and to not please ourselves." You know, I got very, very intrigued with the word to bear. And I wanted to know exactly what that meant, to bear. And, and if you've ever studied God's word, there, there's, it was written in Greek. You hear me talk about that sometimes. And you can actually take what's called a Greek lexicon or you can take a concordance. And they will take different words and they will show you the other places in God's word that that same word is used. And it helps you understand exactly what it means, what it's talking about, to bear. Do you know that the number one place that this word shows up is also in Luke? It's actually in Luke chapter 19, verse 7. 17. Luke chapter 19, verse 17. Can I read it for you? Well, it's Luke chapter 19, verse 17. Listen to this. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross. That's the same word right there. To the place called the place of skulls, which is an aromatic called Gagatha. See, that aspect of the word to bear the weaknesses of others is the same word that is used in that same Luke, where it's talking about Jesus bearing the cross on his way to Golgotha. Here's what I want you to understand. Are you ready? You have an obligation. Please listen to this. You have an obligation. Whenever you see something that you can do for somebody that they cannot do for themselves because they have a weakness, you need to do it. Can I say that again? Whenever you see somebody who has a need, who has a hey, issue, has a struggle, has something that they need, they have a weakness, that they cannot do it, and you have the ability to do it, you should do it. That's what Jesus was talking about, right? Why did he bear that cross? Because he was doing something for you and me that we couldn't do for ourselves. Everybody in this room had a sin issue, right? We've heard the story. We've heard the plan of salvation. We've talked about this before. Because of the wages of sin was death, we had a price that had to be paid that we couldn't pay ourselves. We had a weakness. Because of sin, we did no longer have the ability to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or to have a personal relationship with God. And Jesus Christ said, you know what? I can take care of that. Where you are weak is what Scripture says, he is strong. He says, you know what? I can fulfill that. So you know what he did? He put that cross on his back and he went to Golgotha. Why? Because he had you on his mind. And what would it look like as humans, not as a church, I'm saying just as humans, if we woke up and rather than trying to go get our own 
if we looked at other people in life and said, you know what, this person has a need that because of their limitations, they can't meet it. But you know what? I have the ability to meet it. So why don't I just do that? You're going to hear a lot about that the last Sunday in November as we launch Christmas at Crossroads. Because that's also going to be the Sunday that we rally together to go and help provide Christmas for children that without your help, they would not have a Christmas this year. We call it the empty stocking fund. What is that about? That's very simple, saying, you know what? There's a need in our community with kids, and we have the ability to help meet that need. Can we do all of it? No. But you know what? When we come together with a lot of other people, it's amazing what can happen. But you know where it starts? It starts with you understanding that that you have an obligation. Now, a lot of people don't like that word, right? You said, Engel, tell me what to do. I ain't obligated to nothing. The only thing I'm obligated to is to pay my taxes and to one day die, right? It seems like now more than ever, the first maybe trumps the other. (laughs) But you have a bigger obligation. You have an obligation to literally not live life for yourself. We talk about that all the time. Here's the way we say, we want to be life-giving. Got to go back to God's word. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. See, I want to be so careful here, but I want to make sure you understand this point. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do for people is to say no to yourself and say yes to them. Like sometimes you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like sometimes the only way you're able to do something for somebody else is you've got to say no to something for yourself so that you can give yourself to them and help meet a need. So this really goes to a bigger question, doesn't it? So how much do you really love people? You know, we went through the tragedy this last week. I, I, was, I mean, I was, I, was, I was tore up in Meg's County. I I just, I got five kids. I can't imagine. I can't imagine putting my kid on a bus and never even having a thought or worry and then all of a sudden getting a call that things did not go well that day. And it wrecked me. But you know what I saw? I saw hundreds of people running to blood assurance. I saw hundreds of people rallying, trying to gain some finances to help some people in need. I saw hundreds of people that in that moment, they said, you know what? No matter where I am at personally, I will say no to myself, and I will say yes to them, and I'll run to them. I thought it was the most powerful thing. That in the middle of a a, just horrible tragedy, horrible tragedy, that people would step up and say, you know what, we're going to do what we can to try to right the wrong. But it also made me think a few days later of why does it take a tragedy for us to do that? Like what is it in our mentality that takes something like personally? I won't talk about you, I'll talk about me. Why is it my prayer life increases when things get tougher? Why is it my devotional life increases when life seems to kind of get a little bit tougher? Why does all of those things heighten when all of a sudden I got a big decision coming up? 
Why do those things get more on the forefront when all of a sudden I've got like something coming up that this is a really big deal and I need to, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need to make a decision. Like what would it look like if rather than, than trying to do something, if I got consumed with being something? I believe that's at the root of together. But what I got intrigued with with this particular verse is if you'll notice in verse 1, it says, we who are strong, and then it says, to not please ourselves. And if you look at both of those pronouns, there's a plural there, right? Like, like he is talking to a group of people, and he's talking to believers. And what he's saying is, is that we, as a group, have obligation. And to not focus just on ourselves as a church. That's the reason why you'll hear us say stuff all the time when we talk about community. Like, we don't want to ever, as a church, get to a point that we're, we're just totally consumed with, with everything on the inside. Well, how is this, and how is that, and are we doing this, and are we doing that, and how are we benefiting? Like, what are we doing that we have zero benefit from? Like, we don't need any credit. We're not doing this because we want somebody to make some sort of a decision. We are doing this, why? Because we love God and we love people, and that's enough. We don't need anything else. Because they have a weakness, and we have the ability to fulfill that. So why would we not do that? But then if you go to the next verse, he goes from plural pronouns to singular. Listen, here's where it gets very personal. You've got to ask yourself this question. Let each of us, and then listen, please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. See, we go from this community aspect of together, but he gives us the concept of where it really starts. It starts on a very personal level. Like the greatest concept of together actually takes place throughout the week in your own personal life. It's you making a decision that, you know what, I'm going to focus on who my neighbor is. Now that's kind of Pandora's box right there, isn't it? Have you ever taken time to try to figure out who your neighbor is? You ever saw that little game, the six degrees of separation? You know, you joke around, it's like, okay, six degrees, and it all leads back to one person. It's like, wow, it's kind of crazy how everything leads back to this one person. And back in the 80s and 90s, we kind of laughed about that because there was one person that we would talk about how everything, usually in six degrees, you could get back to this one person. But the question is, what would it look like if we lived life in such a way that God put a connection that was there that everything led back to his church and the impact of him in his church. Now, I need to make sure you understand when you hear me today and for the next three weeks, whenever you hear me word, the word church, I'm not talking about a building. You hear me say this all the time. A church is something you are. It's not somewhere you go. So when you hear me say the church, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. We have an obligation that if we have the ability to meet a need, we meet it. We have an obligation to love people well and to love God. You have an obligation to look at the people that God's put in your life that's your neighbor. Like this is kind of tying in last week's message, right? I joked around and I had to be real careful, but I said, you know, do you really know your neighbor? Like back in the day, you used to go ask for, you know, hey, I need a cup of milk. I need a cup of flour. I need a cup of sugar. Now you say, hey, I need a bigger fence. Like, like God strategically puts you somewhere for you have an amazing influence. Here's what's very intriguing to me. 
If you were to look around this room, and if we were to include the people joining us online, if we were to include the people that are going to listen to the podcast, or the people that are going to listen online later on, and we started expanding and saying, here's all, every, boy, the tentacles of what God is doing starts reaching in a lot of different places, doesn't it? But do you know where the chain breaks? The chain always breaks at what? The weakest link. And though we are together as one group, you know what Satan's trying to do? He's trying to sift you like wheat is what God's word says. And you know where it starts? It starts with you not being or having enough time to, to take care of the people that, that God's put in your life. Like the influence of everything that's going on is so much bigger than God's church because that's his people. It's really about you personally understanding just how powerful he's created you in the influence and the people that you've been created to be with. Like you guys are going to go talk to people at your work this week that I'll never meet. I don't know their names. I've never met them. They'll never meet me. But you will have an amazing impact. Just like this week, I will talk to some people that some of you guys will probably never meet. But together, with the right obligation and understanding that, Wow, what an impact. But he doesn't stop there. He says to build them up, that's key. How do you do this with your neighbor? Well, you, you start to try to help them be better. It says help them be, do good. Build him up. And then he says, for Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. That's directly referring back to that bearing that's in the first verse where he's talking about the cross. He's like, if you want to understand exactly what it means to be together, to come together, you have to understand that togetherness starts with you realizing it's not about you, and together is not about you meeting your needs. Like Christ's aspect of bringing us together and being the central theme that we all can rally around is because he did something that most people never do. He said, you know what? I'm going to do what you need, not what I need. I don't need redemption. I don't need forgiveness of sin." I don't need a way to God. I am God. I am fully man, but yet fully God. I am the perfect reincarnation that lived a perfect life. And I could very easily go and sit with my father at the right hand and spend eternity. But I want to do something that you need. So he says, so I'm going to bear this cross. Because I want you to be able to come together. Like, think about this concept. Jesus was more consumed not at sitting at the right hand of the Father, but for you being at the feet of the Father. Like he wasn't consumed with his position. He was consumed with your ability to have a position. He said, I'm going to make them right. That's what that verse is talking about. Then it keeps going. In verse 4. For whatever was written from the days was written for our instructions. This is talking about God's word. If you want to know what God's word's for, it's telling you. And through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Can I just pause that for a minute? You know why it's important for you to be in God's word? Because if you don't get in God's word, you know what? You're going to be hopeless. You know why? Because it takes endurance and it takes encouragement. And you know where you get the most encouragement and the ability to endure? Through God's word. Because God's word is where we find hope. That's the reason why on the eve of this election, in the middle of a pandemic, 
with all the holidays coming up, with everything that's going on with all the craziness, I can wake up and say, you know what? I'm not fearful. I'm not worried. Well, Mickey, who do you think is going to win? You're asking the wrong question. I'm not concerned. I did my part. I've already voted. That's all I can do. Do you know what I learned in life? If my best isn't enough, I'm going to be a very miserable, discouraged, disappointed man. I have to learn that my best has to be enough. So whether it's in my life and the way that I'm living it, or whether it's in what I can do to change, all I can do is I can go vote. After I cast it my ballot, you know what I had to do? I had to walk out of that courthouse or the post office, walk down those steps, get in my car, crank up my truck, and be totally good with the decision that I made on the basis of God's word and say, you know what, now God, you do what you do. And no matter what the outcome, you know what, I've done everything that I can do. Can I give you some freedom today? It's not your job to fix everything. All the mamas in the room, look at me. You are amazing moms, but it's not your job to fix everything. Some things, God is over the authority. He's the one that's in control. He's just asking you to do the little things. One of the coaches that I have a lot of time to spend with, and we're coming into the playoffs now, but his name is Coach Ford. Now, I really love this man. He's such an example, and he's just a really, really good guy. He makes this comment on a regular basis to all these 17-year-olds that really I think is, is a big deal. It's a powerful statement. And he makes them say this. He'll get these linebackers together. And they'll quote this and they'll scream. And at halftime, he's like, listen to this. And, and they'll start saying this. And he says this. He says, you take care of the little things. And they'll scream. And the big things take care of themselves. You take care of the little things. And the big things take care of themselves. Listen to me. How's your little things? Because what do we normally focus on, Right? We focus on the big things. I don't focus on the big things. I pray about the big things. Why? Because the big things only come from him. I pray about the big things. I focus on the little things. I focus on my little finite life. You think about the world's population and the amount of people you have the ability to influence. It's, it's, it's a little bitty, right? But boy, that influence can have a big impact, can't it? Listen to what he says. So how do we do that? Keep going. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, if you have a paper Bible, underlight the word grant you, to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. I believe together is not something that you create. It's something that God grants. I look at this scripture right here and it tells me, you can't create together. You ever had one of those days that was a really good day? You know what I'm talking about? One of those days that you get to the end of it and you go, man, this was a really good day. What would you do? I don't know. And then here's what gets so intriguing. Then you wake up the next day and you're like, man, yesterday was a great day. I want that day again. And you can't create to save your life. You ever had those moments? Why? Because some things are ordained and just have a way of being orchestrated. And those things can't be forced. Listen to me. Together can't be forced. Doing the right thing should always be an obligation. 
But doing the right thing doesn't guarantee that there's going to be togetherness. Now, don't mishear me, church. Listen to me. We always stand up for people. We always stand up for the right thing. We always stand up for God's word. But those aren't enough to create togetherness. You say, Mickey, prove it. Then why is the God's church so fractured? Think about it. What would really happen if God's church came together? We could really see God do something amazing. And that's the reason why we're being so intentional and not put it under any name. But you can't create it and I can't create it, but God can grant it. So we better increase our life, right? Our prayer life. And then lastly, not only to say that he can grant it, listen to these words. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 6. Do you know that aspect of one voice is the concept of where we get the idea of corporate worship? Do you know what's so important about what Pastor Sam does and this amazing team? Is it for those first 25 minutes, those first 30 minutes, however long, there is one voice. Do you know during that time, there's nobody saying, well, I wonder what he meant by that. Well, I don't know if I think of it that. Well, you know, I, that's not the way I would take that scripture. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. During, that's what's so powerful about worship is worship has a way of knocking off the edges, right? Like when we start preaching and we get into God's word, no matter who you are, there's still a part of you that will have a little bit of a critical goggles on because you're going to test everything that comes from the stage based on God's word, which you should. But when it comes to corporate worship, you don't have that. That's what was so great about the hymns. That's what's so great about the psalms. Like that's been a consistent thing even from the beginning of God's church prior to the Judeo-Christian evangelical church. Back into the Old Testament times with the chants and the things. that It was a concept of bringing people together with one voice saying the same thing to God. You say, why is that important? Because God listens. The power of one voice to God has a way to not only grab God's ear, but he responds in amazing ways. That's the reason why we have what we have with our prayer team. So that we can put out a specific prayer request and we all come together with the same voice. But the aspect of worship is the same thing. But worship does three things, and I wrote these things down. Worship brings people together. Worship creates community. And worship bridges differences. And it'll, it'll take what our differences are. And tomorrow night, all of a sudden, you'll see unity that's formed. And whenever we can unify around something, listen to these words, then you have the basis to start together. The number one foundational truth that has to be in place to have together is you got to have something to unify around. Christ says, with one voice, unify around him. You know what? He's enough. You say, well, what do I do? Well, last verse, and then I'm done. Therefore, everything we just said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. You say, what is my role in this? To be the voice that brings people. To welcome people. Well, what are you talking about? The same way that God welcomed you into his family. 
That's the same sort of welcoming that he wants you to do. So three areas. If you're taking notes, three areas. Three areas for you to welcome people. I want to encourage you to start welcoming people to your church. I'm not talking about your church like a place that you gather to worship. I'm talking about to get around the people of the church. Like I want you to start welcoming people into your life with people that have the same purpose to love Jesus and to spread hope. Second thing, I want you to start welcoming people into your daily life. It's very important for people to understand that you're human. And then lastly, I want you to welcome people into your faith journey. I want you to welcome people into your faith journey. What does that mean? Hey, it ain't always been like this. Let me tell you some of the stuff that I went through. And I had to go through. And how I got with some people that that poured some great stuff into me. And let them go on that journey with you. Don't let them just see where you are and not hear about the things you've come through. See, I think if we do that, then all of a sudden what happens is you start giving value to them. Like when you, when I say welcome people into your daily life, what do I mean? Like make time for people. Like is your day so scheduled out that if something was to come up and somebody need to grab a bite to eat, you ain't even got time? What if God did want to do something amazing in your life? Do you have time for it? Here's the way I wrote it. Why is this important? Why am I asking you to do this? Why am I asking you to welcome people into your church, welcome people into your daily life, welcome people into your personal journey of faith? Why? Why, Mickey? What's the why? All eyes on me. Listen. Because you make us better. You make us better. Together without you, ain't worth having. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.